Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Daniel Dombey. It's the presidential pronouncement that shocked the world. Donald Trump's executive order freezing entry of refugees into the US and imposing a 90-day ban on nationals of seven Muslim-majority nations has led to chaos at US airports and condemnation abroad. Mr Trump says he's being strong on uncontrolled immigration and the threat from terrorism. So what are the consequences of this unprecedented ban? And where do we go from here? I'm joined by Dmitry Sevastopoulou, the FT's Washington bureau chief, and Erica Solomon, our Middle East correspondent. Dmitry, what are the consequences of this unprecedented ban? And where do we go from here? It's not exactly the Muslim ban that you talked about. I mean, in December 2015, he floated the idea of a complete ban on all Muslims coming to America, which he was castigated for that across the political aisle, Republicans, Democrats, human rights groups, companies. So what he's done over the last few days is it's a, it's a more tailored policy. It targets seven nations. In many cases, it delays the ability of people to apply for refugee status. For Syria, it delays indefinitely any Syrians who might want to come to America. And it has created havoc because it wasn't signaled very clearly. It wasn't coordinated with most of the American bureaucracy. And as far as we can tell, the Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, John Kelly, and James Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, didn't know this was coming. And it seems to have come out completely from the White House. It's Mr. Trump, obviously, helped by Steve Bannon, his kind of controversial consigliere, and a guy called Stephen Miller, who has been his kind of speechwriter and one of his immigration experts. But it's doing what Trump talked about during the campaign, which is we're going to tighten our borders, we're going to target radical Islamic terrorism, and we're going to stop people from bad places, or bad dudes, as he likes to call them, coming into America. So that's what he's trying to do. It's been done in a very haphazard way, and uh, it has generated a huge amount of criticism around the world and in America. So, Erica, the president wants to stop the entry of bad dudes, and yet, of course, 15 out of the 19 or 20 September the 11th uh, hijackers from, from Saudi Arabia, the countries involved in that, aren't on this list, but countries like Iran and Iraq are. What is the responses of places like Baghdad and Tehran? I think a lot of frustration and anger and a little heartbreak for a lot of families that have suddenly found themselves split apart, unable to come together again. I think for Iraqis as well, there's a real outrage at the idea that they're literally on the front lines with their fighters right now, sacrificing to fight the jihadi group ISIS with U.S. support, and now they're persona non grata in that country. So I think that that was really kind of stunning to them. And they're now trying to formulate a reciprocal ban. It's unlikely to pass because the Prime Minister Haider al-Abadi fears that it would actually increase Iran's influence in Iraq, which is already quite extensive, and he is not a major ally of theirs. So for him, the U.S. is a very critical partner. But it puts him in a really difficult position because the popular outrage, as I mentioned, is so high right now. Iran is also talking about that they intend to do a similar reciprocal ban. So you can sort of see the way people are responding here. It means more doors closed, borders closed, and lack of you know, connections and communications that were previously there. And Dimitri, how is this playing with the US's traditional allies, places like the UK or Western Europe? How's it going there? Well, the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, was kind of caught flat-footed over the weekend 
when she was visiting Turkey, she was asked about this, about the Trump executive order. And a few times she tried to avoid talking about it. And then finally said, well, this is something that the Americans need to deal with. It's, it's their policy. But as the criticism around the world escalated, she felt compelled to join in and join with her fellow leaders, Angela Merkel in Germany, Francois Hollande in France, and some other places, and saying, well, actually, of course, America gets to decide its own policy, but we don't agree with this. Now, for Theresa May, she's caught between a rock and a hard place. She just visited Washington. She had what's generally been described as a good visit with Donald Trump. And she wants to solidify US-UK relations, particularly as Britain prepares to leave the European Union. But there's a bit of a kind of a, a bandwagon here where some people have been hesitant to criticize Donald Trump early on because he'll ping them on Twitter and criticize them. But I think increasingly this is getting a momentum of its own. And some people who are critical but critical privately are now deciding to speak out. And that includes Republicans on Capitol Hill here. And so, I mean, it's been a complete debacle in terms of the way Donald Trump's team have handled this. And Erica, let's just focus on Syria, because many people are focused on the plight of Syrian refugees desperate to get out of a country. There was some talk early on that the Trump administration was talking about safe zones that would somehow accommodate refugees who would otherwise want to go to the US. Has that idea gone anywhere? And how is this likely to affect the situation more generally in Syria? I think it fell kind of like a bombshell at the beginning of this week or last when people first started hearing reports about this. And that's because prior to these reports that Trump was considering doing that, it sort of seemed like Syria had reached, for better or for worse, depending on your opinion, a new sort of diplomatic balance. Russia was the dominant force. It was working with Iran that supports the regime, Turkey that supports the rebels. And they were sort of going along trying to forge some sort of new regional order. And then Trump came out on ABC News, said he was considering safe zones. We started hearing reports from opposition people in Washington who are speaking to and probably lobbying um, U.S. officials talking about them trying to get through some plans. This is basically going to completely change that balance of power that we had sort of just seen emerge if the U.S. goes through with it. It could mean now that Turkey has an incentive to hold out on trying to make compromises with Russia. This It could cause all kinds of escalation that we can't imagine, and that's really significant because Syria's conflict isn't just about Syria. Syria's conflict affects neighboring Iraq, neighboring Lebanon. It affects the migration refugee crisis to Europe. So these are all things that, that could really shake up what had seemed to be something you know that was sort of coming along to a specific conclusion. But we don't know if it's even possible, and that's the big thing that a lot of analysts who look at the Middle East say. There's just no region where it's clear that this could work. So if they do try and do this in Syria, it really could create more problems in an already incredibly complex conflict. Dimitri, back to the order on immigrants and refugees itself. The order hasn't taken former President Barack Obama very long to criticise his successor. It's created moments of high drama, like an acting attorney general not telling Department of Justice employees not to follow the advice and President Trump sacking her without due ceremony. How is this going to play out in the domestic arena in the US? Well, you've got a couple of things going on. So the first thing is that the kind of context is the Republican Party controls the White House, the House, the Senate, more state legislatures and more governorships across the country than they have in approximately 100 years. So the Republican Party feels incredibly emboldened 
and they want to work with Trump to try and accomplish things, infrastructure spending, tax reform, and some other kind of key uh, economic initiatives. So there have been a number of politicians who criticized Donald Trump during the campaign. Paul Ryan, the Republican Speaker of the House, is a very important one. He was very critical when Trump came out with his uh, Muslim ban policy a year and a half ago. But he's been very quiet over the last uh, few days. He basically has tried to defend what Trump's done. And, and others have been doing that. But privately, Republicans are looking at what Trump's doing. And more importantly, the way he's doing things. So it's not so much the policy, it's the way it's been rolled out. It's the fact that you have an incredibly controversial policy that was implemented without the input of the Secretary of Homeland Security, who oversees it at the end of the day. And people are looking at the way he's operating and thinking, this is not how you run a government, and it's sending a very bad signal to the rest of the world, and it's damaging the US image around the world. So I think there's a lot of growing disquiet among Republicans. When you speak to them privately as a journalist, they will tell you that. A few of them are starting to speak out now, and I think the question is, do we have some really high-profile people who come out and criticize Trump and then kind of give cover to a lot of the other Republicans who might feel at the moment that they can't without being heavily criticized by the president. So it's right now it's very fluid. And I think how Trump handles this over the next few days and how his team handles it um, is going to be very important. But so far, the signs are that every time he gets criticized, he lashes out on Twitter or he lashes out in a television interview. He doesn't seem to have the ability to kind of just bite his lip and pull back when it might actually benefit him to do that. And Erica, is this scene in the Middle East as part of an offensive against Islam in any way? Yes, actually, the first day on Saturday when the sort of full effect of this started to be felt in the region, I spoke to a lot of um, people who were trying to travel to the US or whatever, and they kept saying, whether they were Muslims or not, actually, oh, you know, like, how do they know I'm a Muslim? Or how come they don't know that I'm not a Muslim or whatever? And I would say, well, you know, technically, it's not a Muslim ban, you know, it's a ban on these countries. And people were just like, oh, come on, don't be ridiculous. We all know what this is. So no, I don't think anyone here, regardless of their faith or political background, thinks that this is anything other than something to target Muslims. And Dimitri, the last question perhaps for you. You've talked about the slap day dash way this was put together, but is this the harbinger for a new, tougher, more polarising kind of politics that we're going to see in the future? Do you think this is future of politics in a certain sense, this much more uncompromising approach from the US in terms of its relations with the rest of the world, its relations with the Islamic world? Right now, it's difficult to tell. I mean, and one of the reasons is you have at the moment, you have a White House, which is fairly staffed up. Trump has his senior aides, his chief of staff, his chief advisors around him. And many of them have been with him for you know months, if not a couple of years. But what you don't have is you don't have a secretary of state yet. The ambassador to the United Nations has only just been confirmed. The Pentagon secretary has just been confirmed. There are a lot of people in the cabinet. The Treasury secretary has not been confirmed. The Attorney General has not been confirmed. So right now, all of the power is concentrated in the White House. You can't even have a cabinet meeting because there aren't enough cabinet members. So the real question is, when Trump has General Mattis, Rex Tillerson at the State Department, Nikki Haley up at the UN, Jeff Sessions as Attorney General, and you get all of these people in a room and they actually start to have debates about how they do things, will you get a more kind of traditional policymaking process in place? Or is what we saw over the last weekend where a couple of aides who are considered to be, you know, somewhat of a flamethrower are going to yield or wield a huge amount of power and actually everything will be dictated 
from the White House. We don't know yet because we have to see when all of the pieces are in place, we can then see what the picture looks like. But right now, certainly the White House is driving everything and, like I said, causing a lot of problems along the way. And the world has certainly noticed. For now, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you very much for Dimitri Silvestopoulou and Erica Solomon. Until next week, goodbye.